family, Samuel Dixon is my new friend. He's a full ride honors Cheatham White scholar and a junior at North Carolina A&T Technical State University, my home school at Gateway. Samuel is the co-founder and president of North Carolina A&T's Crypto Club and Adi Dow. He's studying user experience design and blockchain technology with a minor in finance. And he's here to share that experience with all of us. Please welcome Samuel Dixon. Samuel, Aggie Pride. Aggie Pride? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Okay, what year are you right now at North Carolina A&T State University? I'm a second semester junior. Okay, you're in the tech school or the business school? So I'm in both. I'm in the uh, the College of Science and Technology, but I'm also in the College of Business. Well, you're also in SJBH, so welcome. Yeah. Considering your course of study and other engagements, it's clear that you're not simply pursuing a degree. You're on a mission to bring about positive change through education. And the world is constantly evolving and reinventing itself. So how secure do you feel in your goal to integrate blockchain in your career? We're going to jump right into it because uh, blockchain may or may not be around when you are a seasoned professional. Yes, indeed. Um, so when it comes to, just to give you a little bit of background for me, um, my goal is to use my user experience design degree and my background in, in, my background in finance uh, to create a virtual education platform to teach the youth about financial literacy. Um, so I got my introdu introduction into cryptocurrency and the blockchain uh, through my dad. So over COVID, my dad told me about what NFTs were because I'm a graphic designer. Um, so being able to see what NFTs were and seeing how people can monetize their artwork, that's kind of how I stepped into um, the crypto space. So I have a pretty much a a good side hustle when it comes to just learning about crypto and then also nfts um but specifically how i've gotten my upbringing um into the community with cryptocurrency and blockchain technology is at north carolina anti state university so last year i founded a north carolina anti crypto club um where we teach about anything dealing with web 3.0 technology um we're a platform where any student can come to us and figure out how they can figure out what, where their place is within Web3. So for students that come to us who are computer science majors, we teach them about blo the blockchain um, and the Solidity coding language. For graphic designers, we teach them about NFTs and how to monetize their artwork. Um, and then for business majors, finance majors, we teach them about cryptocurrencies and how it's the same, how it's similar to a stock, but not the same as a stock, but you treat crypto the same way you treat stocks. You would dive into uh, your research and you would look up what the, what the cryptocurrency is uh, their plans for the next couple of years before you invest the same way you would treat it as a stock. Um, so that's how I got my integration into blockchain and crypto. And that's how I plan to move forward with it. Um, we also have a, a before you go before you go further, uh, let, let's back up a little bit, because our family are going to be phenomenally interested in what you're talking about. And some may also be equally as unfamiliar with what you're talking about. Um, let's talk about Web3 and then let's talk about um how they can understand the value of blockchain into what they're doing right now. Gosh, um, so just a, uh, a deep dive into what Web3 is. So you have Web 1.0, which is the MySpace era, the email era, 
of the internet. And then you have web 2.0. That's the OG. Well, not really the legitimate OG, but for most people, it's their OG. Right. And then you have, which is kind of right before web 3.0 is what we're, the age that we're still kind of in today is where you have Facebook, you have YouTube, you have Instagram. Um, But now web 3.0 is anything that's decentralized. Um, So web 3.0 deals with uh, DAOs. They deal with um, blockchain companies, anything that's decentralized is taking the centralization out of the internet per se. And, 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 and when we look at where we are right now in a season of web, we don't really own a lot of what's happening around us or with us for the information and the, and, 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 and the, um, and our participation in those communities. With Web3, do we then, as individuals, gain more ownership? And I know you're going to talk about the NFTs, but do we gain more ownership in the content that we're using or that's being placed out there? Or does it become more and more diverse and dispersed? You've got to narrow it in so that everybody can follow as you uh, continue this brilliant conversation. All right, so one thing I'd like to break it down with is when it comes to banking, right? So when you're storing money um, on the blockchain versus storing money in a traditional bank, banks do something called fractional reserve banking, which is when banks take your money and they make other investments with your money versus if you store your money as a bank, um, as your own bank through blockchain technology, that money is yours. The bank isn't taking it to go buy a house. The bank isn't taking it to go invest into another company. your the money. bank isn't taking it to have a national crash that becomes too big to fail. Right. Yes, ma'am. It sits all in your wallet. Um, and you get to do you get get to have the say so into what is actually done with your money. If you want to go to a bank, let's say you have a million dollars, you can't necessarily walk into any traditional bank and ask for your million dollars in cash. However, with the power of blockchain, if you have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin or even USDT. Um, just sitting in a wallet, you can take it out and have it in your hands, or you can send it all the way across the world within a matter of seconds, which is something that you can't do with the bank because it is centralized. Samuel, all of that sounds fantastic. What are the downsides of blockchain right up front before we go deeper? I would say the confusion of, of blockchain when it comes to people who aren't necessarily used to how it works. So when it comes to just a simple act of sending uh, a cryptocurrency from one person to another. Some people may not be used to um, the idea of having a wallet where you have to have a key phrase with 24 keywords to it. And if you lose those 24 words, you lose all access to your money. But that also ensures the security of your wallet. Um, So that process itself um, and also the process of just sending things back and forth, sending messages back and forth. Most of the time, you either have some super long address um, or a, a QR code that you scan in order to activate um, a transaction on the blockchain. So just simple things that add security compared to the traditional internet may be confusing to the average person that doesn't know about what blockchain is. So in using crypto, are we earning interest? Are we continuing to have a need for a federal reserve? And how do we guarantee that the there is there? So the need- Three questions, three questions. (laughs) Got you. Um, So when it comes to the need for for cryptocurrency um, and 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 compared to the Federal Reserve, it's kind of a a, a merge happening right now. Um, So the the United States 
uh, launched something called the Fed Now program, which is really a program to get rid of cash and coins. So soon we'll be walking around and cash and coins will be worth absolutely nothing. So the government is really just copying the same structure of cryptocurrency um, to the to the national government. Um, so the Fed Now program is a digital currency made for the U.S. So the same transparency, the same quickness that the blockchain has, they can be able to see each and every transaction that happens. They know who who sent what at what time. That same transparency that the government that blockchain has is what the government will have when they fully implement uh, the Fed Now program. But there are tons of companies, even just cash owned companies. You may walk into a barbershop. They may only take cash or a convenience store. They only take cash. Companies that want to maintain their privacy uh, when it comes to just um, doing business, if cash is no longer an option and then the only, only other option is the Fed Now program, the third option is cryptocurrency. Yeah, and I, I think you explained that beautifully. And again, where is the downside or the threat in crypto? Um, I would say only due to the fact that not all cryptos are stable coins. So the same fluctuation that stocks have is the same fluctuation and volatility uh, that crypto has. So you have, most people know about what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin started off as a 0.0000001 um, and it's gone as high as $68,000. Um, so crypto is just as volatile um, as any other stock. However, the difference between uh, just Bitcoin, which is the the home, the the dad of all cryptos, um, they're what you call stable coins. So stable coins is what you can move your um, cryptocurrency from a bit from Bitcoin or another altcoin like Ethereum or Polygon, and you can move it into a stable coin. One example is USD Tether. Um, and once you move it into this stable coin, the value of that cryptocurrency doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. Um, so the down, only downfall is just the volatility and being able to know when to enter, when to exit. Um, and just like any other investment that comes with risk. Are many of the newer markets or the uh, or, or the second world markets, the uh, some of the African markets, are they going into their heyday utilizing crypto or are they using legacy uh, banking and money? It, it really just depends on the country. So I know in countries in South America, uh, they're starting to use a coin called Tron. Um, mm -hmm. They're converting over from their traditional currency um, and moving to cryptocurrency. But for each country, they have different regulations, a different way, different ways that they feel about the trajectory of how um, safe crypto is. But most countries are, are diving fully into it. So many conversations are being held around the volatility of dealing from a business perspective uh, and cash and pay with African nations. Are you seeing anything in African nations that are necessarily different from any other nations? Um, I think they're moving faster um, than, than, than surrounding nations when it comes to um, adopting crypto into their community. I think African nations have moved, have moved a lot quicker um, than any other um, nations in the world so far. Well, I haven't held cash in my hand for years. And it only occurred to me as a phenomenon in my life when we scheduled you for this conversation. I thought, oh, okay, he's, he, he's pretty up on crypto environment. But you know what? I've not been an active player in crypto, uh, but I haven't held cash in my hand for years. I haven't written a check. 
for years. So I have digitized my uh, banking process to a great degree and expect to to 100% on my personal level. Um, it's just, you know, either a plastic card or, or I'm signing in and signing out. Uh, how fast will that not be available to me? When it, oh, when it comes to just using traditional pay with, with credit cards yeah. and cards, um, I think that's something that will, that will continue to be, um, compared to just the, the exiling of cash. Um, I think that there won't be necessarily a rough transition um, between applying the Fed Now program into debit and credit cards. I think that's going to be a, a pretty seamless process, um, all, only because it's all through the Internet. Um, so it's just changing, honestly, just changing the way the numbers look in the system. But I think debit and credit cards and the way that you pay with that is going to remain the same. And will I still get a piece of paper for a lottery ticket? <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, let's go back a little bit. I mean, it seems so, um, it, it is, it's enjoyable for me to talk to you about going back. I, I, I think you know by now that I feel like Auntie JBH to you. Uh, I just love who you are as a person and how you are as a person. How do you get to be this person? Talk about your upbringing and how you were influenced or how it molded your choices about a career in particular. So I was born and raised in Durham, North Carolina. Um, my mom is from is from Durham, North Carolina. She attended a uh, school at Winston Salem State University. Uh, we still love her. We still right, love right. her. Everybody can't I, be an Aggie mom. And I have something worse. So my dad was born and raised in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, not too far away from where you were born. But he went to North Carolina Central University, the Eagles. So yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I got a I got a little bit of taste of. Um, our rival HBCUs, um, but I went to high school at J.D. Clement Early College High School at North Carolina Central University, so I'm kind of an outlier because I kind of got a taste of both sides of the rivalries now that I'm here in North Carolina A&T. Um, and going into my junior year uh, of high school, well, up until my junior year of high school, my mind was set on computer science. I knew that computer science was what I want to do. Um, I like the technology um, and I also like the pay grade of what computer science brought to the table. Um, but during during that time, my mom kind of sat me down and had me just look at the curriculum for a computer science major. And I wasn't too happy with what I saw for the curriculum. It's not something that I saw myself fully enjoying and fully getting into. So she told me to dive back in deep um, and to think about really what I wanted to make my decision based off of. And she told me to reopen my eyes to my artistic ability. So since a kid, I've been really good at drawing, um, drawing being my strong, my strong suit, and then painting is where I'm still trying to build myself up in, into, into this day. Um, but I got my introduction into graphic design in the seventh grade, taking the Photoshop class. Um, and so that's what, what I really thought about was um, the awards that I won in that class. It, it, it came pretty easy to me, but I also realized that um, it was something that I enjoyed and something that I could actually monetize. So my mom had me sit down and think about what I actually wanted to do. That's how I transitioned over from uh, computer science, but still having that love for technology, but just merging it with my artistic ability. And that's how I got um, UX UI design. And so my dad, he's an entrepreneur. He owns an uh, automotive service center in a North Carolina state inspection station. I mean, does paint and body work, anything that needs done to a car. 
uh, he can do. Um, and so over the summers, uh, just of me being a kid, being able to work with him and just learning about the life of an entrepreneur, me and him have had several talks um, just about different businessmen, different investors, um, different people that run different people that run major corporations. And so he taught me a lot about uh, the background knowledge that I have about financial literacy education and the power in building generational wealth. Um, so that's how I got finance to be um, my drive and being able to take the information that my father has taught me and the mentors that he showed me that he listened to and put me onto. Um, that's what kind of uh, created my drive to be able to teach that same information because I realized that it wasn't taught in school. I didn't learn any of that information uh, within the first or 12th grade. So that's how I kind of got into um, my entire career once I stuck into the collegiate space. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you are a Cheatham White Scholar at North yes, Carolina A&T. Just the name Cheatham White alone, it, it brings so much richness and story to it. Share a little bit with our family what being a Cheatham White Scholar means to you and who these people actually were in history. Right. So being a just first being a Cheatham White Scholar here in North Carolina ANC has been a complete blessing um, when it comes to just not having a worry when it comes to to finances. I can fully zone in um, on my schoolwork, on my organizations here on campus um, and being able to just focus on, on life as a college student. Um, but Cheatham White and just the entire honor, honors college has been able to place me in in different doors that I wouldn't have seen. Um, just being a regular student here in North Carolina and and is strictly a blessing. Um, but being able to take take hold of those opportunities and to be able to walk into them and be able to merge my um, my personal life with my network with the people that I've been able to meet has been such a blessing. So doing research on who Cheatham Cheatham and White were uh, when applying to um, the scholarship was an amazing process. So being able to create the essay, I saw uh, the activists that they were. Um, and the and the things they did in their community um, when it came to to law um, and just different things to be able to advocate for the power of of African Americans. Now, Cheatham was born a slave, right? Was it Cheatham or White? I think White's mother was a slave, and Cheatham was actually born into slavery. I think you're correct. I think yeah, I think that's the way it went, which is phenomenal that they went on to get university degrees themselves. However. At that point in our country's history, many uh, ex-slaves were getting educations and competing vigorously in the economy and for the U.S. economy. And that in and of itself caused a lot of disruption and, um, and separation of minds at that time, in particular in North Carolina. Yes? Yes, indeed. Yes, ma'am. And so as you are now a Cheatham White Scholar, not only do you have the opportunity that it offers you as what we would call a full ride, it also places a tremendous responsibility on you to honor that legacy, doesn't it? Yes, indeed. Yes, ma'am. Well, I think you've honored it beautifully by becoming the co-founder and president of North Carolina A&T Crypto Club, which Thanks. you started to talk about a little bit. And Agate DAO Dow is impressive. Tell us about these two engagements. What are they, uh, Samuel, and how do you balance your academic commitments with such significant leadership roles? So when it comes to what Aggie Dow is, uh, Dow stands for those who don't know, Dow stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. 
So when it comes to the Web 3.0 uh, space, uh, companies that operate in the Web 3.0 space have a platform called governance, where they allow stakeholders to be able to give their input into the trajectory of the company. So we were blessed to be partnered with um, A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz, and they're a venture capitalist company that goes to blockchain clubs. So there's 404 Dow in Atlanta, Georgia. There's Michigan Blockchain. There's Duke Blockchain. And so they go to different uh, blockchain uh, clubs at universities, and they partner with them, and they delegate them with tokens to be able to vote on these different proposals. So AggieDAO was delegated $6 million in Uniswap which translates over to 1 million uh, tokens, which is 1 million votes. And so I'll break that a little bit down uh, in, a, in a second. And then same thing for Optimism. We were given 1 million Optimism tokens, um, which is uh, $3 million worth of Optimism. So when we go into uh, Uniswap governance, uh, these proposals are, are full of companies that want to partner with Uniswap or use their platform as a base um, to be able to extend their network within their company. So what, one example of a proposal that us stakeholders as Aggie Dow were able to vote on was a company called Boba Network. So Boba Network is a company that wrote a proposal and reached out to Uniswap to be able to use, um, to ask for permission to use the base of what of uh, the Uniswap uh, version three platform, which is turning one cryptocurrency into another. And so we saw that Boba Network had thoroughly done their research on what Uniswap was, and it also uh, showed their track record of investment into Uniswap themselves. So they actually invested into the platform um, a Uniswap V3 before it was even created, before they even put their proposal in to use the platform. So we saw that. Uh, we saw the research they had done. We saw the sponsors that they had uh, gathered, and we voted yes on the on the trajectory of that of that partnership. Um, and so not just our vote matters. So we have 1 million votes, but there are other universities that have 3 million tokens worth of Uniswap. They have 2 million tokens. Uh, they have 50,000 tokens. And so the added, the added all those votes added together either um, leads to either yes or no to the partnership uh, of that company. So that's kind of the purpose of what AggieDAO does. Um, but just being able to have these organizations as well as other ones that I'm on on campus it's my my work life balance has kind of become a, a a way of life in a way. So I kind of told myself coming from freshman to sophomore now to junior year that I felt that I needed to be more involved. I was already pretty involved, but I kind of had an urge to do a little bit more. Um, and so being able to put myself in these positions and to be able to fill them out um, has been a wonderful process. And so just being at the, the culture at North Carolina Anti. Um, I, I feel at home. I never feel uncomfortable, but the, also the the number of opportunities has never been at a shortage at all. Um, so when it comes to social life, work life, and then also career opportunities, um, it's a healthy balance here in North Carolina A&T. So I'm not certain if you have listened to all of my podcasts, but I did one with someone who I consider a new friend. His name is Kevin Kelly. And one of the things that he really expounded upon in our conversation, and I believe it is exemplary or at least identifying to how he works and lives. He started, um, he started Wired Magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with that, so please check it out. But he said he wanted to make sure that he had the freedom to express his roots, which are really founded in optimism he was more interested in doing things that they enjoyed in his 
uh, organization rather than focusing on what they thought readers wanted uh, or readers would like. It sounds as though you have a bit of that optimism and you are taking it to the entrepreneurial and to the humanitarian place keeping intact your ability to do as Kevin Kelly does those things you really enjoy. Right. Well, when we consider that, then you're focusing on UX UI design. And that's a particular interest to me. At Aquan Group, we design so much of our technology that supports our customer engagements. And I don't know that you actually knew that, did you, Samuel? It does. It does. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we 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 create that technology. UX UI is more than how it looks for me. It's tied to the guts and supports user experience. What sparked your interest in this particular field of technology? Um, the I started to just realize how much I came across once I started taking the um the classes. So overall, my major is computer graphics technology. And then we have two different concentrations. We have a concentration in user experience design and a concentration in technical design. And so when I was looking at what user experience design is before I chose the concentration, I started to slowly realize how much is being used within the internet. Any kind of app that you go into, any website that you go into, um, or any platform that you just view on the internet has some kind of UX UI designer behind it thinking about how your interaction was going to be. Um, and be, me being able to have an artistic eye, um, I was able to see myself being able to go to different companies um, and partner with different people who are creating platforms to take that art, that same artistic eye um, to be able to build a good user experience. To so make let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. And I'm breaking all my rules because I'm interrupting. That means I'm truly excited. Okay. No You're from North Carolina. You understand. Yes, um, <laughs> so. One of the things I've noticed is that when using business technologies, especially those that manage or support intercompany uh, experiences, the tech has to be taught. Nobody really teaches anybody how to use Amazon. Where's the gap in that? Are you following what I'm asking? So a company that's not too focused on tech implementing the the structures and the fundamentals behind UX UI? When I think of the user experience, nobody teaches you how to use Amazon. Right. And that's you because- sign in and you go for it right from check through to checkout, okay? Yep. With lots of business technologies, support systems in the back office, have to be taught. You go here to do this. You have, uh, maybe you have a help center you call when you get lost in the process. What, where is the gap between how business texts are, you, are, are, are designed for user experience versus a commercial or Amazon type? Uh, like I tell my people, I want our tech Amazon easy, okay? Right. And Amazon isn't it isn't the ultimate, but it is an experience people are familiar with around the world, and nobody's sending out manuals on how to use Amazon. Right. It's I think it comes down to um, the fundamentals that are taught in the education system with 
being break down between uh business IT and UX UI. Those are completely separate um ways of of education. Um, but when it comes to like just using Amazon, for example, you can be able to tell that Amazon has good UX UI because you don't have any difficulties. That's the that's the the prime of user experience. Whenever you whenever you can create a platform um where a customer can figure out where things are without having to ask for help, that's a tale for a good UX UI. Um so companies that necessarily don't have good UI probably don't have good um designers who have a an artistic eye when it comes to technology and website building, but they're more on the the IT side. And that's not necessarily what it what it takes um to be able to have that 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 user experience eye, that artistic eye to be able to make things seamless. Um, so it's almost a battle of 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 art and numbers in a way. And that's two separate uh fields. So how do you see this intersecting with your goal of providing financial literacy education? Um, being able to create the the platform that teaches the youth about financial literacy. Um, I have a, a a great background in knowing about the types of games that kids play. So the 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 vision for the platform is to create it so it's intriguing for the youth. So different games, different activities, but a modern version of them um, will lead to a, a platform that students will be able to want to return to rather than their parents telling them they have to sit down um, and just and, and do this course to be able to to learn about what it takes to be uh, financial literacy, financially literate. Um, but my goal is to use my design uh, skills to be able to um, tailor to how I can make the user experience better for the kids um, to be able to have them have fun, but also be able to learn uh, simultaneously so they don't feel like it's a burden, but almost an enjoyment to be able so to- Are you going to gamify it or what are you talking about here? That's the goal. The goal is, is, is to gamify it so that the youth can be intrigued. Um, and then also um, have different incentives for when they do good on homework um, and quizzes so they can get different uh, ways to customize their characters. They can get different accessories things of that nature to give them goals to be able to work towards, not just getting good grades, but something also customizable uh, within a platform. So it's something that enjoyable that they can go back to. So let's talk about the division in, uh, in, in um, the digital divide, the financial divide. Um, how do you see what you're doing filling those gaps or is that not the goal? Is the goal simply to teach those who have accessibility and are ready? So the goal is to, because I'm very aware of what of what the digital divide is, um, those who, who have access and those who do not. Um, but the goal of the of the platform is for students to be able to gain that knowledge that they're not getting from the average school system. So um, when it comes to having access to that type of technology, the the platforms that we want to have it on is, of course, just a regular web browser, but also VR um, experiences as well. So being able to learn um, from home, but a more immersive way of learning from home. So another like just one thing that I that I thought about doing different um, innovation challenges and things here in North Carolina and um, I've come across a few challenges where they try to merge, we try to close the divide between teachers 
and students when it comes to virtual education. And I think this is kind of almost the, the perfect platform to be able to kind of close that gap. Well, actually, there was a flip. There was a flip in that because there were many students who were ready and professors who weren't. Uh, digitally savvy. Many professionals, uh, Samuel, who I know are engaged in efforts to support financial literacy, especially in sectors for women and diverse people. You may be familiar with some of the work being done with Operation Hope or organizations like WeBank and a partnership that I share with WeBank at, um, for women at North Carolina A&T. So your vision for providing financial literacy education and what you're bringing to elevate success in this is so refreshing to me. Where are you in the process? Where are you right now? Right now, I'm in the, the idea stage. So I'm right now in the process of learning what it takes to claim intellectual property, um, to be able to take my idea and gain full ownership of it, um, to be able to move forward with confidence um, when it comes to building connections with uh, with companies that I would need to partner with in order to be able to assist me in building that platform. So the so the structure for the platform is my goal is to make it uh, a, a platform that I can sell to the government almost to be able to give them the access to get it to as many kids as possible for free versus having to charge for the platform. So making it- Selling it to the government will be a highly idealistic thing and a beautiful thing. Licensing it to the government and others can be a really great business decision. Your choice, your treasure, okay? Uh, but licenses generate a lot more, licenses generate wealth and sales generate an income. Given- yeah. Uh, this interest in creating modern and innovative educational platforms. Elaborate a little bit on the kinds of digital tools or technologies you're considering to achieve this. That will help you, I think, to, um, to determine exactly how you're going to evolve it and what the end game is for you, how that gets achieved uh, beyond the service you want to provide to the community. What are these types of tools that you're looking uh, to uh, utilize and technologies? Um, so anything dealing with uh, graphic design uh, to be able to, to, able to um, create the visuals of the platform using things like Unity, um, uh, Autodesk Inventor, um, Blender, things to create 3D models or in digital models, uh, and then also the Adobe Suite to be able to create the UX UI. Um, that's something that's directly in my realm. But companies that I will be using um, to outsource, well, that's that's the companies that I will be partnering with and, and working absolutely directly with to be able to create the visual part. Um, but when it comes to coding and then actually taking buttons and making buttons do what they do, that's more on the coding side. So I would need to be able to part with, partner with companies um, that are really technology based in coding and making things work um, and partnered with the visuals that are actually happening. Um, and then also creating a curriculum for the financial literacy education. So that would be um, learning about what it takes in order to teach um, a student, not no matter what subject it is, but being able to understand the mind, uh, the minds of children and the best ways to convey a curriculum so that it's attainable um, and retainable to the student itself. I love that. While you're early in your career journey, do you how do you how are you envisioning success? What what will it look like for you? For me, um, mm -hmm. being able to know that I gave my all and created something that can be passed down 
for generations to come. Um, being able to know that I could possibly change the trajectory um, of a child's life, just being able to provide them with a set of information that they may not have attained if that platform was not available. Um, but then also being able to do the same for my close friends and family, um, just on a personal level, being able to put them in different positions based on the things that I've learned going from high school to college is just relaying that information down to be able to see others um, who are younger than me being able to grow and, and, and walk, walk in the steps, not directly behind me, but um, just in, in, in the same path and be able to provide the same information to them that I was provided to uh, by the mentors that I was given. So that's what, how, I, how I envision success, um, along with just being financially free to be able to do um, the work that I need to do in the community. I love that. One of the people who I've listened to and learned from over the years, Mike wrote, has been a man named Earl Nightingale. And I love his definition of success. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And I do believe that's what yours is uh, expressing itself out to be as well. There's specific design principles that you may believe in as crucial for financial education platforms. What are some of the design principles you actually are embracing and where does financial ethics fit into that for you? Um, when it comes to design principles, uh, there, there are many different ways to, to break it down from um, an artistic eye, um, even when it just comes to topography, um, color theory, um, um, so symmetry when it comes to how a platform is made. Um, and that all just entails with that entails uh, the performance of a, a user experience of the user experience performance of a platform. Um, but being able to merge that with financial literacy education um, is kind of is kind of going to be an interesting way to to merge. So there has been platforms that I've seen growing up, like on TV, I saw a commercial uh, of a platform called ABC Mouse, right? And okay. ABC mm -hmm. Mouse uh, just taught kids, but from home. But I got to be able to see how they um, kind of the, the same people that it takes to uh, create maybe like, like, like a cartoon or a video game uh, or, or a TV show is the same people that worked uh, on this platform because being able to create a different characters that caught the kids eyes um and to be able to um actually work education within that platform there has to be some kind of partnership between more than one company because the people who specialize in creating the ui the people who drew the character people who uh create uh the ideas for what's going to catch the kid's eye are not the same people who created the curriculum for what they actually taught on the platform in abc mouse so being able to bring companies together um, and be a middleman for those companies is one is going to have to take in order to bring design principles to uh, financial financial literacy ethics. I love that. And these let's let's go back a little bit. These non fungible tokens offer unique qualities that are unable to be duplicated. So, with non fungible tokens declaring unique ownership, the popularity of art NFTs has been talked about a lot lately. Many folks like Jay-Z and others are heavy investors in art. How do you see the area of NFTs becoming attractive to them? 
and further contributing to financial education, what role can they play in building generational wealth, if any? Right. So when it comes to just the history of NFTs from, I would say, uh, the launch of the NFT marketplace, um, when it first launched, NFTs were honestly based off of hype and, and honestly ignorance. So a lot of people saw the the good art behind the NFT and they saw the price tag uh, of the piece of art. And that's what got their attention um, for it to be an investment. But a lot of people didn't think about the utility behind the, the NFT. So there are a lot of NFTs um, that were that that were flooded with it with a huge market but it was purely off of hype and so now um going from that stage which is really around covid um to now the value of those nfts have dropped because investors started to realize that there was really no usability behind the nft itself but those that have prevailed are those that have utility behind them so some nfts offer um in real life uh um, different pluses. So when it comes to there's an NFT called Board Eight Yacht, the Board Eight Yacht Club, um, mm -hmm. and it's in real life club where they meet on a yacht, and that everyone who owns the NFTs, only people who own the NFT are able to gather on that yacht and to network and grow their business, things of that nature. Um, the NBA has picked up NFTs and they have made it almost like a a, a plan card sector. So I remember going to uh, a Charlotte Hornets game and they popped up a QR code. Um, on the on the on the uh, jumbotron, and so in almost ten seconds, the NFT was completely gone because everybody had their phone up and they were pointing it at the NFT. Um, but it was a collectible item that could be sold uh, down the line. So that's what what brought the value of NFTs to the NBA. So honestly, when it comes to the trajectory of it and the history of building financial of of building generational wealth behind NFTs, it also depends. It, it really just depends on the usability behind the NFT and the usability will determine the longevity of that investment. How, how do you demystify the, them and bring entry-level clarity to folks who are listening right now who aren't quite there yet? If you're not quite there yet, does that mean it's not your thing or how do you, how do you demystify it? And what type of, uh, what type of financial investment is required? So there's NFTs from a penny to a million dollars. Um, so there's no necessarily no. It's Vegas, baby. <laughs> yes, there's no there's no minimum and there's no maximum when it comes to um, investing in NFTs. Um, but when it comes to any other investment, my my most valuable advice is to do your research. Um, the same way you would invest when you would research a stock before you invest. It's the mm -hmm. same way. That you research an NFT before you invest, which is the same way you should research a crypto um, before you invest. But just the idea of, um, of, of an NFT is almost... So when I learned about how people buy paintings, right? You may walk into someone's house and see a $4 million painting. And you may ask them, why did you buy this $4 million painting? They may like the artist. They may like how the uh, what's actually in the painting. Um, or they may like how the painting brings out the aesthetic in the room, but also the painting could be strictly an investment. So Jay-Z really talks about this in a few of his songs. Um, and so the, just the power of owning a, a painting one year and it be valued 
$2 million and next year is worth $4 million and next year. Right. Painting for most of the people whose homes I've been in who have art of value, I'm talking about a million and above uh, per painting. They really, uh, quite a, quite few of them are really aficionados, but they have curators who are doing it for, as part of the investment portfolio. It is not for their personal pleasure, nor yeah. their knowledge or the enthusiasm around uh, art itself. Right. And so when I, I almost compare NFTs. It's like real estate for them. Yes, indeed. That's exactly what I was about to compare it to. So when it comes to NFTs and art um, and even cars, uh, jewelry, um, and then real estate, a lot of people who, um, when it comes to learning about what tax write-offs are, they use the same way. If you want to, let's say you own uh, a business and it generates uh, $100,000, right? Versus you're an individual who works at a company that's, uh, and you make $100,000, right? The difference is working at that company, the tax bracket in the US right now for someone who makes $100,000 is around 24%. So mm -hmm. if you make $100,000, as a regular employee in the U.S., the taxes on that is going to be $24,000, right? But if you own a, bit, a business that generates $100,000, um, that that $24,000 worth of taxes, if you're able to spend that on expenses, you can write that off and pretty much get that twenty that $24,000 you can almost get back depending on what you do with that money if you have to uh, spend it on it mm -hmm. as a um, as an expense. So people go and let's say you buy a $24,000 uh, NFT or a piece of art or a piece of land um, as, as a doing that as a business versus a, um, a individual employee, you can use that as a tax write-off, almost getting it for free per se. So a lot of people uh, invest the same way they invest in buildings, um, houses, uh, pieces of pieces of art in the same way with cars. Is the exact same that it is the exact same use that people have when it comes hedged, to hedged against hedged against other risks or 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 uh, 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 trade offs that exist within the business. Right. What are you most excited about right now, Sammy? Some other things that I'm excited about to share with you um, is my graphic design business. So my graphic design business is called VTF, stands for Vision to Fruition. And so, of course, I've been, I've been doing graphic design uh, since the seventh grade. And then once I got to high school and leading into college, I started to get freelance work in. So being able to just create logos, uh, flyers, um, doing campaigns, uh, partnering with clothing brands. Um, that's kind of how I started being able to launch my career when it comes to graphic design. And so over the years here at being at North Carolina A&T, everybody has kind of got the idea that Sam does graphic design. Um, <laughs> in August of, of, but in August of last year, I finally made the decision to be able to go uh, just from Sam doing graphic design into a business structure. I figured it was time to choose a name, which is really a, a, a really, uh, one of the main things that was kind of holding me. I wanted to be able to think with the end in mind to be able to create uh, the brand image that I wanted for my graphic design business. Um, and just here's a card, by the way, Vision to Fruition. Uh, it does the logo, so it's an eye uh, with a with a stem and a leaf coming out to in in, in symbol of uh, um, resemble fruit, but then also the vision as well. Um, oh, push it closer to the camera. Got you. 
Love it. Love it. Thank you. Yes, indeed. So um, this is something that I see myself using my skill set to be able to generate um, profits, to be able to to sub into the, uh, the, the dream that I have of creating my financial literacy education platform. Um, but my goal is to scale this company, to be able to surround myself with the best um, here in North Carolina A&T to be able to build this company and to not be able to just do it by myself, but find the best designers to be able to work with me to be able to uh, continue. And so the next step that I'm taking in this company is photography. So I've been, uh, I took a, a photography class in August um, and it kind of came with, within perfect timing because I do campaign flyers here in North Carolina A&T. So when people run for vice uh, student class, vice president or president, uh, secretary or treasurer uh, most of the time we choose either an album cover or a movie poster to uh, base our campaign theme based off of right and so when mm -hmm. these candidates were coming to me uh, to create their poster they were also asking me if I did uh, photography so most of the time they already came to me with photos but some clients were coming asking me if I did photography and I was just telling them that I didn't offer that service um, but it, me taking a, a photography class in August, I had to buy a camera anyway. So just learning about aperture, learning about uh, different lighting, learning about focus point, um, lighting, shadows, things of that nature, um, being able to just take that skill um, and be able to create a company that I was being asked to create, a company that did uh, everything in one, not only um, created their vision of what their campaign was going to be on the branding side when it came to social media, but also being a company that can actually capture them to be able to pull them into whatever theme that they chose. So that's kind of the basis of um, my company and where I'm trajecting it, uh, it to go when it comes to emerging photography inside of it as well now. That's a lot to be excited about. Samuel, what advice can you give to high school or college students who aspire to be leaders and change makers, especially in areas that may not be the conventional focus of their academic path? I would say write it down and make it plain. Um, that's what would be that would be my number one piece of advice. Um, I've had so a lot a lot of people have dreams of being a basketball player, dreams of being a football player, uh, dreams of being a singer, dreams of being a dancer. Um, but personally, I've had dreams where I lay my head down and, uh, and go to sleep. And I have a dream about just a, a, a next step I can take in my career. And then I wake up, I write it down and move towards it to actually make it happen. And that made my relationship with God a lot closer. Um, not be Not necessarily religiously, but just my 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 relationship with with God himself um a lot closer so being able to write it and make it plain that is a true thing that works hands down um so any ideas that you have any goals that you have for yourself I would say write it down with a pen a pencil um and a piece of paper um anything that you do I would say start with the end in mind that would be number two love 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 it sound sage advice while you're here, let's talk about mentorship. How do you think mentorship uh, plays itself out in personal and professional development? Um, I think mentorship is beautiful when it comes to giving a mentee something to aim for. So being able to, for me personally, having mentors 
um, who are not necessarily exactly in the seat where I would like to be um, when it comes to exactly what I want my career to be. But when it comes to being in a seat of a point of life of setting goals and achieving them, that's the main goal of of a mentor to be able to show them that they came from where you came from when it comes to being in a space where you have goals um, that you're in the process um, of achieving. And so having someone that has achieved a number of goals um, and to be able to help you when you get off course um, and to bring you back on course, but then also just support you along the way um, is what I love about a mentorship and being able to just pass down information that you gained along your own journey. And, you know, uh, in order for mentorship to work, it must work both ways. Before we go to four for four, who are some of the mentors who've significantly impacted your journey or those you know of that were impactful in someone else's journey? Um, I would say on a on a major scale, I would say Steve Harvey. Um, Steve Harvey is somebody that I resemble to be almost similar to how my father is um, when it comes to how he carries himself as a man, how he carries himself um, as a businessman. And he's also a family man. Um, and so he's a guy that I have looked up to uh, when it comes to just living life, but then also uh, on the business side. Um, he works tons of jobs. He is very successful in each job that he has completed so far. Um, but he still works to this day because he has a family to provide for and he has people that he um, people looking up to him. So he has different mentoring groups um, that he has created um, to be able to pass down the knowledge that he has gained over the years from comedy, from TV shows and just life in general and lessons that he's learned. He's been able to create um, different boot camps and different platforms where he can pass that knowledge down um, to students from from kids of all ages. Um, to be able to help them grow in life as well. Yes, and years, years ago, I met with him at a restaurant in Beverly Hills and he shared what he's doing at his boot camps. So it's not something that Steve waited until he was uber famous or uber engaged to do. He's done it alongside his own personal growth. And I think that's commendable. Um, in our community, we say you can do well and do good at the same time. And I think that's a beautiful example of what his mentorship has been like. He didn't wait to get there in order to help others get there. And I have a sense, I have a feeling that with your father's leadership, your mother's strong hand and the community at A&T, you're really on the path for phenomenal growth. So it's just been a pleasure to have you uh, on this podcast. Let's go four for four before we call it a day, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. Samuel, I'm going to ask you four questions to which you'll give me four answers. There are no right nor wrong answers, okay? No. Um, and the first question is, you're hosting a dinner party. You get to invite anyone, any four people to the dinner you wish from any time in history to present. Real people for real, okay? Um, who's at your table? Lauren Hill. And why? Okay, got you. Lauren Hill, Dr. Sabi, Buddha, and Steve Harvey. 
Okay. Wow. Well, okay. Look, you get five people. I'm going to be at that, that table. But go ahead and tell me why the four. Um, specifically for Lauren Hill and Buddha. Um, those are people that I have a lot of similarities to when it comes to my spirituality um, and the way that I live my life, uh, my relationship with God and my relationship with how life works. Um, I believe in the power of, of meditation, um, being able to know um, who you are as an individual, being able to dive deep into who you are, your surroundings and analyze uh, different aspects of your life, no matter if it's that uh, the way you think, um, positive versus negative thoughts, the way you think about yourself, um, and then also the power of relationships, thinking, being able to dive deep and see how the people in your life affect your life. Um, and then also just being at that table of four, um, being able to have a, a, a woman who I know has the the, the knowledge uh, of spirituality, but just the 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 motherly love of Lauren Hill at that table. Um, if I had to choose just four people, that motherly love of Lauren Hill plus the knowledge that she has uh, about life in general would be amazing to be able to learn different things um, from her perspective. Um, and then when it comes to Dr. Sabi, Dr. Sabi is someone that knows all about what you put in your body is how you feel. You are what you eat. Um, and so I believe in the power of health. And if anything, uh, when it comes to how long I would like to live, the number one way that I can be have that have that in my hands, that power of how long I will live um, is to be able to control and know what I'm putting inside of my body. Um, so I've been, I was vegetarian for, for three years after last year. Um, and that was the most best feeling the the best that I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, so I use vegetarian as a, as an overarching title, because a lot of people get confused when I talk about, um, the different ways that I think about health. So, um, the only types of meat that I ate during my times of being vegetarian were meats from the farmer's market. I stayed away from all processed meats because I understood about how just it, it brought it brought my energy down compared to when I didn't eat it at all. Um, so Dr. Sabi is someone that knows about the power of healing through herbs um, and different natural remedies um, rather than using traditional medicine. Um, and then again, when it comes to Steve Harvey, Steve Harvey is somebody um, who I look up to when it comes to style, when it comes to dressing. Um, someone who I look up to when it comes to uh, knowing about the power of relationships, no matter if, if that's with your own partner or people who you surround yourself with uh, business-wise. Um, and then the, also the power of, of being able to know how to pass down information that you've learned uh, through your lifetime, through uh, other young people as well. So those are four powerhouses that I see um, that I would that that would enhance my life if I had to choose four people to sit down with um, in this entire world. It's interesting you mentioned Lauren Hill. Uh, most recently, I was I hosted some friends and family at the Crypto Center where I have a suite here in Los Angeles, and um, Lauren Hill was the artist. She made that room, at least in my estimation 
feel as though it were a small club. You know how large the crypto center is. Not only was it a testimony to the brilliance of the musicians and the technicians who were there to create sound that allowed you to have a crystal clear experience and her own insistence to her own band and orchestra to get it right throughout her performance. You know, Miss Lauren, um, but it just was a very intimate moment. It was as if it were just me and the people in my suite who were there to enjoy her music. I so get why you would love to have that brilliant and big a personality that can swell a heart and not necessarily crowd the room with it. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, and let's go to music. We're going two for four. What are the four pieces of music you're listening to now? Genre, artist, song, and why? Um, so genres, I listen to all types of music. Um, I believe in, honestly, music is my way of everyday therapy. Um, if I'm feeling down, I'll listen to music that will bring me up. Um, I'm a, I'm a person who, who believes in, in positivity. So music is kind of my way of keeping my mental balance just throughout the day to be able to still get things done. No matter if I'm starting off feeling great or starting off feeling low, music can be my, my bridge to, to level me out in a way. Yes. Samuel, I, I teach people play the music that takes you where you want to go. Yes. Literally. So genres, I cover all genres of music, um, R and B country, uh, hip hop, soul music but i'm I, i'm really an old soul so i listen to a lot of old school music as well um but a few artists that i've been listening now wait a minute what's og for you how far back does it go um outside of the classics how far back does it go um i would say old new orleans jazz okay like, yeah so you're for real okay new okay Or New Orleans jazz with with the um the trumpet and the yeah. uh, I forget the name but just that that yeah. sound yeah 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 is pleasing to me um so I, I get I I go really I dive really deep into music I used to keep on my wall here I have tons of old album covers that I get that I just collect um and this is just music from the the 40s the 50s um that I just like to just kind of escape from just modern times to be able to dive back into. Um, but artists that I listen to as of now, um, just recently, my favorite R&B artist right now is SZA. SZA is somebody who I love from top to bottom when it comes to just music that I can just relax to um, and just go about my day with. Um, I listen to an upcoming artist named Foggy Raw. Foggy Raw is an artist um, who kind of literally implements well, music is poetry, but he brings the he brings the poetry out of music. Um, he kind of adds music into poetry in a way, um, and so that's a, a way that I see um, that that pleases me when it comes to poetic music. Uh, J. Cole, Have you ever heard of the Last Poets? I haven't. Okay, I want you after we hang up. 
uh, if it's not too late in your evening, just go to wherever you gather your music from and listen to the last poets. How about Nikki Giovanni? Have you ever heard of Nikki Giovanni? I have, I have. Okay, uh, listen to some Nikki as well, but go listen to the last poets and then go back to Foggy Raw. Nikki Giovanni, I got that right now. Okay, N-I-K-K-I. I got you. Let's okay. And then, and then you can send your thank yous to me. Okay. I will. Okay. I will. Any any new music, I, I love being able to. That I kind of build friendships that way in a way too. If somebody, if I'm in the car with somebody, and they're they're playing something I don't know, I'll add it to my playlist and I'll ask them about who the artist is, and we just keep each other updated updated on the release of that artist and just build build a, a musical. Did you ever listen to Gil Scott Heron? I haven't. No. Okay, go listen to Gil Scott Heron. You love horns. I'm a review to you now. Okay. Then when we when we visit for our mentorship session, we can also play each other a little bit of music. We can do a playoff, okay? That'll be great. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, let's go three for four. What four books do you recommend to our family? And why? I would recommend 21 Rituals to Ignite Your Intuition by Theresa Chung. Number two. The why, why, why? Number one, why? Okay. So 21 Rituals to Ignite Your Intuition is a book um, that is almost in itself a challenge. So it goes through 21 different activities that you can uh, do throughout the day. Um, that will kind of take you a step out of reality in a way and have you just sit, relax, and be in the present moment. So number one of the book of the 21 Rituals um, is to put your phone down within the first hour that you wake up. So a lot of people may just wake up um, and the first thing they do is to grab their phone just based off just natural instinct. Um, and so being able to just being able to realize the things that you do throughout your day, that's what the book is about. And so um, it's a list of 21 rituals that you do throughout the day. Um, and it's you do one each day. And if you um, miss a day, you have to completely start over and start from number one until you get all the way to 21. For You're ritualizing your wellness. Right. For 21 days straight. And if you miss one, you have to start over. And that's a book that... I really enjoy it to be able to just get out a bit and to be able to be in the present moment. Um, so it's I think actually gaming your success. I like that. I love it. For number two, it is the people factor by Van Moody. Um, so the people factor is a book that breaks down the power of relationships um, in your life. And that's top to bottom. Um, and how your relationships can change the trajectory of your life and how the people around you kind of tell you who you are in a way. Um, and he also talks about the investment that it takes in order to be able to build strong relationships. Um, relationships are almost like plants. You have to water them. And if you forget to water them, they die down, they dry out. So he kind of makes it clear and plain um, to the fact of being able to water your relationships, do go out your way to be able to do things for uh, the people that you love, to be able to 
have that same thing happen to you and to return. Um, and just the power of knowing who you have around you and what they add to your life, and what they take away from your life to be able to change your life. When you earlier talked about you are what you eat, I hesitated and decided not to interrupt to share you also are who you're with, you know, um, and so you are who you eat. You're also who you meet and keep. That's, a, that's an amazing quote. That's an amazing one. Uh, a quote that um, that has really impacted my life is to never be the smartest in the room. Right. Yeah. yeah. But also when you are the smartest in the room, be able to to realize that you are um, and, 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 and sit in a humble position, but be able to uh, provide knowledge to the people that you're with. Um, and learn from them. Look at how much I've learned from you. Look at, I hope how much you'll learn from me when we have our mentor session. Yes, indeed. Um, but being able to prioritize putting yourselves in room where putting yourselves in rooms where people know more than you will only take you further in life. Um, and, and not being able to be intimidated by the fact that they know more than you, but being able to see it as um, an opportunity can change the entire trajectory of of your life, depending on what rooms you put yourself in. It definitely does that in business. If you're only hiring people who you feel or believe or even know you're smarter than, you basically can take your shingle down. You know, it, yeah. it, it's really important to hire people who are smarter than you are at what they do. Yep. That, that's exactly the structure that I'm going to need when it comes to creating my platform. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it will be. What's your third book? Number three is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, so Rich Dad, Poor Dad kind of breaks down um, the definition of conformity in a way. Um, being able to have two uh, a kid that has two perspectives of life, one being someone who goes through the system per se, the entire way from start to finish of getting education, um, and be becoming employed, becoming an employee, um, and having a secure job to be able to follow the system through and through, and but then also having another perspective of a person who sees the system but uses the system as a tool to be able to escape the system, um, being able to become an entrepreneur, um, and to be able to have the financial freedom to be able to create your own schedule. Um, and just have your life in your own hands. So for me, my goal is to graduate, work corporate around five to seven years um, to be able to gain knowledge, uh, build my network, but also gain capital to be able to fund the different things that I want to do in my life. So going through the system, um, getting the benefits of the system, but uh, knowing that it is a system and being able to escape it in a way by creating my own platform, creating my own way. Um, of living as an entrepreneur. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, just kind of gives you a, a larger perspective of what your, what your current position may be, you know, rather, rather if you're in school um, or if you're in a job right now, um, but telling you that there is a way to be able to get the financial freedom that you want or the time freedom that you want uh, to be able to do other things that you may be interested in in your life. And what's book number four? Number four is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So Think and Grow Rich is a book 
um, that I read over the summer. Um, Introduced you to it. So my friend Jalen Lee, my friend Jalen Lee, um, who goes here at, uh, at North Carolina Ante, he's in the uh, College of Business. Um, he started a, a, a challenge called the 75 Hard Challenge, where you read 10 pages of a nonfiction book, drink a gallon of water, um, work out twice a day, um, one being indoor and outdoor for 45 minutes, um, and no alcohol for 75 days straight. And if you miss a day, you start over. And so he was telling me about this challenge, and I, I decided to do it with him, and I just went through to try to choose uh, what book I was going to do. Um, and my dad had told me about Think and Grow Rich, but I never read the book. And so I, I turned it down because it's right there on my bookshelf. <laughs> and it, it, it's a book that, and it talks about in the book uh, about really step number one to success is to having a burning desire um, to be able to make something happen. And so when it came to uh, the different ideas I have for the past of my career, uh, when it comes to blockchain, when it comes to NFTs, when it comes to uh, my graphic design business, the more I read that book, the more that fire started to burn inside me in order to be able to do what it takes to be able to think and move towards your goals. Um, so step one is having that burning desire, but Step two is be able to move forward, write down your goals, but have persistence along the way. Um, and that book is is going to be a if you read it, it's going to be a, a time period where it could be the birth of, of of a company. It could be the birth of something that can literally change your life because that's the that's what the book does to you. It brings out your your true purpose and makes you want to hop on it super fast. So any any entrepreneur, anybody that has a drive to create something, I would recommend to read Think and Grow Rich. I love your book list, by the way. Let's go four for four, Samuel. What four pieces of advice will you offer to our family listening now? And if you gain that advice from someone in particular, please pay homage by giving their name. Um, I would say number one is enjoy being uncomfortable. Um. The act of being uncomfortable is is a, is a, is a mind state that is only for growth. Um, that one of the things that I learned when I came here to North Carolina A&T is that when I came here as a freshman, I was very comfortable. I wasn't actively involved on campus right when I got there. Second semester is when things started to pick up for me. Um, but just knowing uh, that you're in an uncomfortable state that 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 just permits growth so even from the point of just public speaking uh people who learn how to get better at public speaking have to put themselves in positions where they're doing public speaking and each point is going to be uncomfortable even people now who are the most best who are the best public speakers still get nervous um before they go out to speak um but it's that feeling of having butterflies in your stomach that feeling of being uncomfortable um, that you All be. the great performers say they are right before they go on stage. Uh, many of them use prayer before entering the stage as a way to not only calm their nerves, but energize their talent in the most positive way. I've yet to met anybody who I deeply respected who was comfortable in their moment. 
that's the key. That's the key. And also being uncomfortable shows that you have ha have care for whatever you're doing. Um, if you're doing something that that you care for, your your heart is attached to it. And that's why your heart starts beating faster and faster and faster as you're about to do it, because you care so much um, about what you're doing and you care about the outcome of what you're doing. Um, you so know what we say in our company, Samuel? We say when you're green, you grow. When you're ripe, you rot. Man, when you're green, you grow. When you when you're ripe, you rot. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot, man. For What's your number two? Um, practice meditation. Um, for me, when it comes to anything that I'm doing in life, no matter if it's career based, um, if it's relationship based, uh, being able to, um, sit still, is something that is hard, especially in an age of technology, where you're just surrounded by so many things, you're hearing so many different things. Um, you're in a, in, in places where you're hearing, um, so many different opinions about different topics. Um, and sitting still can almost be one of the hardest things to do. Um, and active meditation is not necessarily clearing your mind of thoughts, but it's almost um, backing out of a highway of thoughts and watching your thoughts go by as cars on a highway um, and being able to see the trends of what your thoughts are. If they're good thoughts, if they're bad thoughts, being able to sit back um, and see your thoughts can help you control your thoughts and what you think is what you become in a sense mm -hmm. um, you mm -hmm. think negatively if you if you go into a situation where you think you're going to do bad you probably will do bad because you think and you said out loud that you're going to do bad versus if you're going into a situation where you're thinking positively um and you think you're going to do good you most likely most likely will do good um and, and meditation has is what has helped me to be able to control my mind in a way from all the distractions that we have um, with life. Beautiful. For number three, uh, is start with the end in mind. Um, anything that I do, uh, I like to, I, I think this is a, a really a designer thing. I'm almost a, a, a perfectionist when it comes to the thing, when, when it mm -hmm. comes to things, but that's almost been a curse in a way, but it is, it's a blessing and a curse. Anytime I'm doing a flyer or I'm making a piece of artwork, I, I'm very tedious with with the way that it looks from the from the very start of it. Um, and sometimes you have to pull back from being a perfectionist because not everything has to be perfect in your eyes, but other people will see it as perfect. Um, but starting with the end in mind is almost you telling yourself exactly how you want to see it end. Um, for me, when I started my business, I wanted to create a brand image that I saw that could be a major agency. Um, and so that's how I that's how I thought about it. And then and, and starting from a major from a major agency and working backwards in the steps to be able to uh, create a foundation in order to be able to get there versus um, me creating a business where it's solely just myself. Um, I wanted to create it where other people can come in and sit beside me. And to be able to help me to grow it into a business versus creating the business around me as a sole individual. Um, Love it. Number four um, is, again, to write it down. Um, when it comes to 
goal setting when it comes to dreams or even just a daily to-do list, um, one of the things that has helped me out tremendously is writing things down. And once I started writing things down, I instantly realized how much I had when it came to chaos in my brain. Just thinking about the things that I have to do from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep, um, writing it down takes that that stress off of you because it's like, ooh, what am I forgetting that I was supposed to do? Um, writing it down gives you uh, the satisfaction of checking off a checkbox. It's just small rewards throughout the day and doing that same thing with major goals. Uh, the same the same rule applies. Um, writing it down, making it plain. Um and when it comes to anything, it's almost like signing a contract with yourself um, with saying, I want to own a business in five years. Um, I want to make one hundred thousand dollars in the next year. You can say it out loud in your head, but you can, you can say it out loud or in your head. But writing it down is making a clause to yourself, making a contract with yourself um, to be able to hold yourself accountable. Brilliant, brilliant. Just love it so much. Samuel, thank you for allowing me to be present in your life at this moment. Thank you for all of the conversation, the knowledge, the joy you brought to Ask JBH, and welcome back anytime. We're going to get that mentor session uh, booked up, okay? We're going to get that done, and we'll do it within the next 24 hours. We'll book it, okay? Ma'am, thank you so much. From my heart to your home, thank you.